Welcome to Red's Eye Alert. I am Preston Stober, your host, along with Alex Frank. In this show, we'll be covering all things Reds, um, anything from moves to games. It's going to be really exciting, Alex. What do you think? Oh, it's going to be very exciting. Opening day starts tomorrow. We're going to be here every Sunday with our Sunday show, recapping the week that was in Reds baseball. So much to get to today, mostly talking about the games, but also, as you said, Preston, moves, transactions, injuries, any other thing associated with the team, that's what we're here for. And it's going to be a very exciting season here for the Reds as last year made an early postseason exit. We hope to build on that, uh, maybe grow from that, maybe make a later postseason run this year. And everybody's really excited, especially getting back into the stadium this year, even if it's a 30% capacity right now. Very exciting season. And we're just going to be here for all of it. We're very excited. Absolutely. 13,000 fans approximately will be allowed in Great American Ballpark this year, as you alluded to, Preston. And getting fans back in the ballpark is great. We're excited to get back to the ballpark, and we're excited for a full MLB season this year. It's going to be very exciting. I mean, like I said, a very exciting team, very exciting season. Like I said, we're going to be here for all of it, and we hope that you guys can stick with us throughout. It's going to be a really fun show. Welcome to Reds Eye Alert. I am your host, Preston Stober, alongside my co-anchor, co Alex Frank, and we will be covering all things Reds this season. We are very excited for this pilot episode one day before opening day against the St. Louis Cardinals. Who else? Who else could it be? It, it, see, that's the thing, too. It's like every time I think about opening day, I just think about then, oh, wait, not only is it opening day, we're playing the St. Louis Cardinals. Yep. So that just that just gives us another incentive. That just gives them more juice to it. When you're playing your rival team, the Redbirds and the Cardinals, it just makes open. It has that much more sizzle to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, good job calling this the pilot episode. We've never called any yeah. of our shows that. Any first episode of the shows we've done this year, we've never called it that. So uh, kudos to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, but I mean, very exciting season. The Reds had a very interesting offseason. You know, very exciting season last year. It was a little bit down. Ended up making the playoffs, early exit, sadly, but still an exciting season, something to build off of. And going into this season, I mean, it looks like we're hopefully just going to pick up where we left off, have a very exciting season. we got some of the great guys back, and uh, we're, we're just going to be here for it. Yeah, and, and that, that's the thing. It's like, when I think about the Reds offseason, Preston, I think people have not been happy with, with the Reds' lack of... Um, splashy free agent signings, mm -hmm. you know. In fact, I th I totally agree with those who say that the Reds, in essence, kind of regressed in the offseason mm -hmm. in terms of who in terms of who left. You lose Trevor Bauer, who oh, was yeah. the reigning NL Cy Young winner. Now, here's the thing about that: I understand it's a significant loss for this pitching rotation. But he only pitches every fifth day. It's not like we lost one of our better hitters who's an everyday player. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay the loss of Trevor Bauer. But that only, but that only makes you feel good that you're going to win one every fifth day. That's yeah, only, that, only, that only adds up to, what, 30, 35 games a year? I mean, mm -hmm. that's not going to get done, obviously. Yeah. In his 60-game season, it might, which he was a... Significant reason why this Reds team made a torrid push down the stretch to get to the playoffs. But Preston, like, despite that, you look at the lineup, it's pretty much the same as it was last year. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at projected starting lineup right here. I mean, we got Winker, Castellanos, Vado, Suarez, uh, Moose. I mean, we got a very good starting lineup right there. And as you mentioned, we might have regressed a little bit. But this team, I think, does really um, look a lot like the team last year that made a playoff run, and obviously it was a kind of wacky year. Only, what, 60 games last year, I believe? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it does model the team last year a little bit. And like you said, I mean, losing uh, Bauer is huge. You, you hate to lose a guy like that. I mean, he's just an absolute great pitcher. But at the end of the day, the starting pitcher does only play one out of five games. And, I mean, that really helps kind of down the stretch, especially in the playoffs when maybe it's a one out of four games thing. But... In the, all, in the regular season, I mean, at the end of the day, this is still a great team that can do great things, even with, even losing Trevor Bauer. 
Yeah, and Bauer did pitch on three days rest at one point during the season last year. It was a oh, it was a weekday night game against the Brewers. I forget if it was the Monday or the Tuesday game. I believe it was the... I'll have to go back and look. I should know this off the top of my head. But, okay, if, if you're sad about Bauer leaving because of that and what he did in September, that's totally understandable. Mm-hmm. If you're sad about the fact because he pitched unbelievably great in that game one of a wildcard series, that's fine. But as, as we have both said, that's just one starting pitcher. And I, th- and I think about the guys that we still have. Um, excuse me, Luis Castillo is starting tomorrow on opening day. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, he pitched phenomenally down the stretch too last year. Oh, yeah. Do you forget about that? You might. Okay. Now, Sonny Gray is on the injured list currently with back spasms, but he's going to return. He had a good season last year, a terrific season in 2019, the Reds still have two starting pitchers who could potentially finish if they pitch up to expectations and what we have seen from them. They could finish in both in the top 10 in Cy Young voting. I mean, th- I mean, can you name me another team with two starting... Uh, you can't name many other teams that have two high-quality starting pitchers like the Reds have in Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray. Oh, yeah. I mean, it does not come along much. I mean, obviously, the Dodgers have had that plenty. But well, this is... I mean, that's the Dodgers. We can't be the Dodgers. Team, exactly. But that is a very good starting lineup. And, I mean, you look at guys like Tyler Malley. I mean, it is a good team. It's a, it's a team that... It's a good starting rotation. It's a rotation that, with a deep, good defense behind them, like I believe they will have with this Reds, uh, Reds fielding crew, I think it's, it, it shows a lot of promise. And it's it's a it's a starting rotation that can really mimic a lot of the things that happened last year with this rotation. Very good rotation. I mean, I think that they can really do a lot of good things. It, Tyler Malley pitched well down the stretch last year, and he's a guy who has been with this ball club for a long time. I, I, don't forget, Tyler Malley was a hot prospect coming up because he pitched a perfect game in Double A. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that. Um, he comes up to the major leagues in two thousand. 16 or 17, I should know this, but he's only been in the in the he's only been um at the big league level for not that long. He hasn't had the opportunity. And then you think about the Reds trading for Castillo, trading for Sonny Gray, um, acquiring Wade Miley in a trade. They they haven't had the opportunity to work him into the starting pitching rotation. And then they bounce around with guys like Sal Romano. He's now I mean, I don't know if I should know if he made the team or not. But what I'm saying is Tyler Malley hasn't really had the opportunity to, and by the way, Sal Romano, he is on the team currently. He's on the active roster. Uh, The depth chart will, right now, um, Sal Romano is in the bullpen. But Tyler Malley now has an opportunity, especially now with Trevor Bauer leaving that, excuse me, leaves one pitching spot open, he has an opportunity now to carve a permanent role in this pitching rotation. And from what we saw last year, no longer is he this inconsistent starting pitcher that pitches great one game and then not so great the next. I think you can get two to three three consecutive great starts from Malley. That's going to help this ball club immensely. Oh, yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, he's a hot prospect. He's somebody that's been coming up through the organization, and and he looks really bright. And I think he's going to really be... That guy in the rotation, can he really be that third guy? You know, last year we had Castillo, Gray, um, Bauer. Can he really step up? Now, I'm not saying he should be Trevor Bauer, but I'm saying can he be that third guy that if we are going to go a 1, 2, 3, 4 rotation kind of at the end of the year, can we really have that third guy that can really step in? And, I mean, heck, if you're looking at it, Castillo and Gray get a win. Can he be that third guy at the, in, the, in the first round of the playoffs to get that sweep? to win those, win those games, and I think that's going to be huge. If he can do that, if he can be up there with Castillo, up there with Gray, I mean, we're looking at a starting rotation that could be very deadly. And I think that he is really going to be the centerpiece, maybe not the centerpiece per se, but the one that's really going to, that's, that's really going to teeter on, is can Tyler Malley really make a statement this year and really have a good season um, in his newfound role in the starting lineup? Tyler Malley, according to Reds.com, has only made 10 starts in his career. I don't 
that can't be true. Because this says he only made three starts in 2018. Oh, that doesn't seem right to me, um, to be honest. But he's been in the major league since 2017. Uh, seventh round pick in 2013. So he hasn't really had uh, much of an opportunity to you know, carve out a permanent spot in this rotation. But I think you are seeing that he might have that opportunity. Uh, he's scheduled to start Saturday against the Cardinals, against um, Adam Wainwright. So that'll be a... Uh, marquee opportunity for Tyler Malley going up against one of the National League's best pitchers of our generation mm -hmm. in Adam Wainwright. So big going back to the big picture themes, Preston, from the offseason. See, here's why I think fans were upset. And, and, and I think yeah. this is widely, this is the wide consensus from the city of Cincinnati. So the, the previous two offseasons, prior to this one, so the offseason bridging the 18-19 seasons and the 19-20 seasons. After 2018, the Reds' fourth consecutive last place finish. They lose 90-plus games for the fourth straight year. The rebuild effectively was over after that season. And then 2019 was, okay, we're going to actually start to contend. They go out and get Sonny Gray. And mm -hmm. this was um, uh, Bob Castellini said prior to the offseason, we're going to go get the pitching. And to their credit, they did. Sonny Gray comes over from the Yankees in a trade. They get Tanner Roark from the uh, Nationals. They also, I, there was one other free agent signing prior to that season. I'm trying to remember who it was. But okay, they get Sonny Gray. They get Tanner Roark. And the Reds are, impro are an improved team. Their starting pitching rotation in 2019 was great. Mm -hmm. Castillo was a Cy Young candidate. Sonny Gray was a Cy Young candidate. And the Reds are in contention in the latter two months of the season. Tangible progress. But as if that wasn't enough, they realized, okay, we have the pitching, but our lineup's not productive enough. So what do they do? They go out and they get Mike Moustakis in free agency. Nick Castellanos in free agency. Shogo Akiyama, international signing from Japan. On the injured list to start this season, by the way. But when he returns, there's your best on-base guy. Table setter at the top of the lineup. Then they get Wade Miley. The expectations going into last year were palpable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we there was talk of this team potentially winning the National League Central. They end The season ends up getting shortened to 60 games due to COVID-19. Oh, by the way, 2019, can't believe I didn't mention this. The biggest product of the rebuild. Made his debut in May of 2019. His name is Nick <laughs> Senzel. And I like Nick Senzel. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think he has great talent. If that's coming to fruition this year, that just makes this team that much better. But anyway. But anyway. So they built off of what they did in 2019 with the 60-game mm -hmm. season. Started off, eh, on their own foot. Treaded water through August. In the early part of September. But then, a flip of a switch. And the Reds win 11 of their last 14 games to make the playoffs as the 7th seed in the National League. Largely due to the expanded postseason field. I'm not going to deny that. And then they don't score a run in two games in the wildcard series against the Braves. But, there was progress because they made their first postseason in 7 years. Albeit in a shortened season. So fans thought, okay... Let's just do what we've done the previous two off-seasons. Maybe this is what they thought. I think it is. Let's just do what we did in the previous two off-seasons and bring in a marquee free agent, whether it be a starting pitcher or a hitter. Lindor, maybe. Kluber, maybe. Uh, any other starting pitcher that was hot on the market? Didi Gregorius at short. And none of that happened. And not only that, the Reds also lost. Archie Bradley, critical reliever down the stretch. Rossell Iglesias, that's their former closer. Say what you want about him. In a safe situation, more often than not, he came through. They lose him. They lose Trevor Bauer. And I think that's why fans coming into this season are a little skeptical of how good this team is actually going to be. No, yeah, I completely agree. And... 
I think it, it, it is good because the team did good last year, and I think when you think of the shortened season, this team came on at the end of the shortened season. I think if that's a full season, this team is really making a push even higher up in the postseason. Um, and I think it is okay because this is a really good team, but then I think the problem comes when you look at what was lost and what was not replaced. We talked about Tyler Malley, but Tyler Malley is not Trevor Bauer. I think that I think we can both agree on that. I mean, we're high on t- uh, Tyler Maui, Malley. I think he can have a good season. But losing Trevor Bauer, losing guys like you mentioned, that's stuff that I think has to be replaced, especially in baseball, when, I mean, teams are ever-changing, players are ever-moving. And I don't think the Reds did a good enough job this offseason really bringing in that splash. I think that the Reds are kind of going with what they have and moving forward and just saying, all right, this is our team. This is what we're rolling with. Which is good. I mean, it's good to be that way, but we would also have loved to see them bring in a splash, bring in somebody that really is going to push this team even to higher heights. Because we're not, right? I mean, we, we are really wanting this team to make the playoffs, but I would like to see this team win the NL Central, go even farther in the playoffs, have a, have a great season. And I don't think we brought anybody in that really exemplifies that far push, if you know what I mean. I, I totally agree. The, the, I think what you're saying is they didn't bring in anybody in the offseason that gives you hope that he can be that mm-hmm. game changer yeah. that can propel this team that much further exactly, yeah. in the playoffs. And I, I agree with that. I mean, the shortstop situation throughout the offseason was a mm-hmm. fiasco. Now, I think David Bell may have solved that by putting Suarez at short. That's going mm-hmm. to be interesting. Moustakas now goes back to third base. Fun fact, he won a World Series at third base with the Kansas City Royals in 2015. Jonathan India is now going to be playing second base, the Reds' first-round draft pick in 2000... I should know this. Uh, I believe it was 2018, <coughs> if I'm not mistaken. So he's now... Um. I should know where Jonathan India was drafted. I don't know why I don't. Um, so he's now a part of this team, and he, he has made the roster for the start of the season. Let me make sure that he did before I just randomly spout off information. Jonathan India, uh, where is he? Well, maybe he did make the roster, and that would not be good if I did not know that. Um, well, that's just the depth chart. Perhaps I shouldn't be looking at that. Uh, Jonathan India is not on the roster. So that is interesting to note. Unless he's on the active. I mean, this is uh, See, I've been paying attention to college basketball, so excuse me for uh, <laughs> me not having this right. So he's not on the, the active roster. So that's interesting. Uh, non-roster, uh, that would be Bedrosian and Naquin. It's interesting that he's not on the uh any of the rosters it's definitely shocking to me because i thought i was i was reading here somewhere that he would be the second baseman too like i was definitely with that so i'm very very surprised that he's not on that roster there right now per the depth Unless chart it's maybe a mess up on the website your second baseman is um Mustakis, farmer blandino and schrock that's not right though i think that we yeah can agree. So let's let's assume Jonathan India is going to be at second base, unless if it's D. Strange Gordon. Um, yeah, Jonathan India is finally getting his chance, according to a headline from the Enquirer. <clears throat> um, and then, of course, we'll find out if he is on the um, if he's starting tomorrow or not. But the. It's interesting to me because you think about the shortstop situation and then you think about the outfield. You have a platoon in the outfield. Winker, Akiyama when he returns, Castellanos, and Senzel. Um, the problem is you have too many outfielders. And you want to keep Nick Senzel around because I feel like if you trade Nick Senzel, you're basically trading away what the whole rebuild or the epicenter of that rebuild was to get to the point where Senzel makes his debut in the major leagues. I mean, it was a it was a significant event when Nick Senzel made his debut here back in May of 2019. Here's a guy who homered twice 
in his second career big league game. And albeit he got hurt that year, but you still saw what his potential is as a hitter at the plate. Defensively, that's another story. There are some things that I, I, I do think he needs to improve on. He also needs to stay healthy. But my thing is with Senzel is there's so much talent there. If he can figure things out defensively, whether it be mainly throwing guys out at home or second or third, whatever it may be, this guy has the potential to be the player that we thought he was going to be when the Reds drafted him second overall. Oh, yeah. I mean, Nick Senzel is very exciting. And you mentioned the, the outfield as a whole. That is a very loaded outfield. I mean, we kind of mentioned the starting pitching rotation and how good that could be. The, out, the outfield could also be very good. The problem is, as you said, there's only three spots and per game. And, I mean, so then what And there's no DH this year. Exactly. And so then what do you do from then on? Do you, do you look to trade? I mean, those are, those are four guys with trade value. But like you said, you don't want to get rid of Senzel. I mean, Winker, he's been very good for this organization here recently. Castellano, we know what he is. And why, who am I missing? Castellanos, Akiyama, Akiyama, Winker. And Akiyama, you said, I mean, he, another guy with some great potential. Those are four guys that I don't think you want to trade. I think you do want to roll with them in the outfield. The problem is, what do you do from then on out? And like you said, I think Nick Senzel is very exciting. He's somebody that can go out. He can really generate some excitement for the fans, as we talked about fans in the stadium. I think that this is an outfield that I'm not really sure what's going to happen exactly with, but you can really build off this outfield right now and continue to move forward with it. By the way, Jonathan India is on the team, in case you're wondering, because Mark Sheldon, the Reds.com beat writer, has not projected batting seventh tomorrow uh, on, on opening day. Uh, his projected lineup goes Winker, Castellanos, Vado, Suarez, Moustakis, Senzel, India, Barnhart, and Luis Castillo. Uh, the fact that there is no DH is an interesting um, kind of wrinkle in this because what you could have done last year is you could have played three outfielders and then have one of them yeah. DH in a game, which, I mean, Sinzel playing DH might have been better for him health-wise, so he doesn't have to play defense. Here's a guy who got injured in the 2019 season, was shut down eventually for the rest of the season. He was injured last year for part of it, missed some time due to COVID-19, comes back for the end of the season, but it was really Shogo Akiyama who yeah. was the table setter at the top of that lineup. He's on the injured list currently with, I don't remember what the exact injury is, but there is, uh, you do have options in that outfield. Now, I, I was the one who said, why not have Nick Senzel play shortstop? Mm -hmm. um, that would mean Suarez stays at third, Mustaka stays at second, but then now you have Jonathan India coming up. So, it really, that is interesting to me. And then, depending on what this team is like, where they are, come, I don't know, early July, late July, uh, at the trade deadline, and you're going to have to make a decision, are you a buyer or are you a seller? I mean, that, and that's the thing. But I think about, let's say the Reds aren't bad, but they aren't great. They're like, eh, 500 come, come the trade deadline. Being 500 in baseball is not so much a bad thing as it is in the NFL. It, it, it's not. It's not good because then you basically don't. Then you basically you don't know what to do. You're, you're not a definitive buyer or a definitive seller, and you better make the right decision because if you don't, it's going to come back to bite you like it did in 2014 when the Reds did absolutely nothing and then they lost 90 straight games for four consecutive years because they eventually had to trade away everybody that was a part of the uh, run from 2010 through 2013. But here's the thing. If you end up finishing, let's say, I don't know, 83 and 79, that's not so much, that's not so bad as finishing 8 and 8 in football because, you know, your draft picks in the NFL, you're drafting basically guys out of college to come play for you right away. If your, your first, second, maybe third round draft picks are going to probably be on the team come week one in the NFL. Mm -hmm. But in Major League Baseball, and this is because the NFL doesn't have a minor league system like MLB does. You're drafting a guy. If you draft a guy in the first round, top overall, who's to say he's not gonna? Who's to say he's gonna pan out in the minor leagues? Mm -hmm. I mean, he may not be. He, he may not be able to make it to the big leagues. I mean, he might be a good prospect, but when it comes to being a good pro baseball player, eh, he may not be. So that's why finishing 83 and 79, it's not great, but it's not so. You're not so stuck in uh, neutral position 
as if you would be in the NFL. But you still have to make decisions long term because you can finish that, but you better you can't just sit on your hands at the trade deadline. Because you have to think about okay, what can we do? We're in contention still. But what can we do to make sure we're in contention next year, the following year, and then five years down the road beyond that? That's what great teams do. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And I mean, I think this is a team, this is a roster, an organization that could go either way. And, and if you're 500, you really don't know which way that's going to go. I mean, we talked about this team not making really any big splashes in the offseason. Come trade deadline, are they going to try to make a big splash? Or we talked about how... There's a lot of guys on this team, and maybe not even enough spots. Are they going to maybe sell? You know, This is a team that I really think could go either way. I don't really know exactly where it's going to go, and I mean, I don't think we will know until the trade deadline. Yeah, Bob Castellini, he can't, he can't afford to send this team into another rebuild. These fans yeah. have already been through it once. And, you know, in baseball, you see all these teams. Lance McAllister brought up a great point years ago when the Reds were in their fourth straight of 90-plus losses during the season. You look at all. You look at all these teams. I mean, there are some bad teams across Major League Baseball. Baltimore has struggled significantly for years. Kansas City, Detroit, they've struggled significantly. Go over to the National League side. The Marlins struggled significantly after their 2016 season. Um, the Pirates are entering a really bad rebuild. Oh yeah. Um, that might, and some fans might say that's the Reds' saving grace as far as where they're going to finish that's in the true. division. But I don't really want to. I don't think it's that extreme mm-hmm. to think that the Pirates are saving grace. No, they're not, because I still think there's enough talent on this team, and the Reds went through that rebuild. Because here's the thing: you you go back from '95 through 2010, or '96 through '09, you go 14 straight years without a postseason appearance, and this is a city that. The Reds do a great job with the community, getting fans to come to the games. They're very fan friendly with everything that's in the with all the amenities that are in the ballpark, and they've done a fantastic job continuing continuing to upgrade the ballpark. Lots of things to do there, but it, it would only make it that much better if the Reds had a competitive team. Because you think about you know, baseball games are fun; they're family friendly. It's a great family atmosphere. But I mean. The Reds have only made the playoffs four times since 1995. And from 96 through 09, there weren't that many winning seasons. I think there were only two winning seasons and another season at 500. And those fans went through that period of time. And now 2010, they were really, really good. Maybe a little bit unexpected, although they had a pretty promising 09 season to maybe build... Uh, foundation for success in 2010 when they won the division. They win it again in 2012. And don't start me on that postseason series with the Giants when they blew a 2-0 lead. They make the playoffs again the next year. And fans finally thought, okay, we have a competitive team, not only to go to the games and have fun, but also, hey, we have a competitive team here. And it took them a long time to get back there in 2019 and then last year. So you can't enter another rebuild. Yeah. These fans, and Cincinnati historically has been a baseball town first because mm-hmm. the Reds are the first professional MLB professional baseball team in history because of the tradition of opening day, because of the big red machine, because of you know any other great player that's come through this, because of Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall, because of Sparky Anderson, anybody else you name that's synonymous with the organization and its rich history, the Reds are you know a historic commodity in baseball which is a historic commodity of our nation Mm -hmm. you can't enter another rebuild if you're bob castellini but with all that said you you were alluding to it earlier preston when you look at this team and how talented it is doesn't it make you think that they are going to actually be good this year yeah no yeah absolutely i completely agree like, I, I just, like, and those who say, oh, we're going to lose 90 games, and, you know, I mean, there's some who are saying we're going to win 90 games, and some are going to say we're going to lose 90 games. Listen, are the Reds the most talented team in the division? Eh, probably not. But you look at this division, it's not a very good division. Mm-hmm. It is wide, wide open. I think about, yes, the Cardinals made a huge splash in free agency with Nolan Arenado. That's fine. 
The Brewers didn't make any big splashes. They still have as, as talented of a team in the major leagues as, as there is. The Cubs don't sleep on them because they still have a core of the core of their team that five years ago won the World Series. It's been five years since the Cubs won the World Series with that team that they had. And the Pirates, well, pfft, don't get me started. I mean, they're going to beat 100 losses probably. So I look at this division and the Reds' talent. They didn't lose really anybody in the lineup. Fans are just mad because, they again, they didn't upgrade. They didn't get that shortstop. They didn't get Lindor or Gregorius <laughs> or Andrelton Simmons. Uh, now you have Suarez at short, Mustakas at second, and a promising prospect in Jonathan India at second base. So there's optimism, right? Yeah. I mean, as you said, I mean, the big splash was not made. But if you really look at this as a whole, and you even mentioned maybe moving Senzella short, I mean, there's there's options that can be made that really cover up holes. And you mentioned, um, and not even really just holes, this is a very similar team to the team that just made the playoffs, made the postseason. It's not like we're collecting scraps here. I mean, this is still a very good team. And as you mentioned, this is an organization. This is a fan base. I mean, this there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This is a great baseball city. Oh, I mean, insanely totally. amazing baseball city. I'd put them up there with anybody in the country as far as baseball city. I put us up there with Los Angeles. I put us mm-hmm. up there with New York. I put us up there with St. Louis. I put us Boston. up there with Atlanta, Boston. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is Chicago. I mean, that's the thing. By the way, um, our college baseball team is yeah. pretty good How this year. That? About that. Yeah, beating the number seven team in the country last night mm-hmm. in Louisville. Bearcats game. with a 13-12 win. Uh, Cincinnati, t- tell you what, the Bearcats have, you look at their lineup. I mean, it is significantly better than it's been in, yeah. in, in my three years here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean it, even a team that, that made a win uh, or got a big win against uh, Oregon State the other year in the, in the college. Oh, game. that was fun. Yeah. That was, that was fun to watch. Exactly. I mean, Scott Guggins, the head coach of the Bearcats baseball program, he is he, the job that he's done in elevating this program, not just to contention within their own conference, but on a, and maybe even a national landscape. Yeah. I mean, he he now has a win over a top ten team in Louisville, and if you can go to East Carolina this week and win one, maybe two games, hey, there's some momentum here. Oh yeah, and I mean, I'm even uh, Matt Noonan, the uh, play-by-play announcer the other day, and I remember I remember hearing him uh, mention that Scott, I mean Scott Guggen, he's not here just to make this team good. His goal when he came was to host a super regional. I mean, that was his goal. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a hefty goal, but that's not a that's that's not a goal that's out of reach. That's yeah. a very good goal. Yeah. And I think that I think the Bearcats can get it done. You think about the the college baseball programs that are around this area: Louisville, Kentucky, Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, even. Indiana, Indiana. I mean, these are pretty good baseball programs. Louisville's been one of the best baseball programs Mm -hmm. in the country for the last 15 years. But now Cincinnati, all of a sudden, they made that first NCAA tournament appearance since 1974, two years ago. And there is progress being made here. I mean, here's a a program that kind of got off to, again, a slow start this year, but they're now 11-10. and Mm -hmm. And this conference, which outside of East Carolina has always been a muddled... uh, kind of congested conference teams two through eight. Bearcats got a two seed in the conference tournament two years ago, rode that to a conference championship. Yep. Uh, but going back to the Reds, and this being a baseball town, again, you, you put it up with anybody. <laughs> but the thing is, like you're saying, it's not like the Reds lost so much in the offseason. Mm-hmm. I, I think about this season, and I, it reminds me going into 2014. Ironically, the last time the Reds opened up against the Cardinals. So... 2014, the consensus was, at least I thought the Reds would be maybe good, competitive, maybe not 90 wins, 95 wins, but they would be around 80 to 85. And it was because you didn't you didn't know who you still had from that 2012 team that was really good. You didn't have Shinsu Chu. You didn't have Drew Stubbs. Was Ryan Hannigan still here? And Ryan Hannigan was not here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you had to... Billy Hamilton was just coming up from the minor leagues. Um, a lot of injuries happened that year. That was during the season. But going into the season, you thought, okay, there's some promise here. Latos was on the was on the uh, excuse me, 
he was still here. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was still here. So he was on Venomous Cult, the disabled list. Mm-hmm. So, and again, you don't know what you have this year. You have some injuries coming into this year, but you still felt like, okay, there's still a chance to be competitive here. And I'll give them credit. Going into um, August, they were still right there in the thick of the wild in the thick of the wild card race. They ultimately lose, They ultimately finished seventy six and eighty six. But again, what they didn't do that year was they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. And I think, and this is believed that they didn't want to do anything because they didn't want to you know just be in rebuild mode when the All Star Game was here in twenty fifteen. Well, the All Star Game is not going to be here again for a very long time. So you better a you know, if you're going to go into a rebuild after this year, which God forbid, I hope they don't, you either A, at least start it earlier than later, or B, avoid it and say, okay, what can we do to ensure we're contenders this year, next year, and five years down the road? It is tough. I mean, to have sustained success in the MLB, it's tough. The Cardinals have done it. The Yankees and Re- the Yankees have done it. The Red Sox, don't get me started, they have not done it because they win the World Series one year and suck the next year. If you, if you need any proof, <laughs> go look at their 2014 and 2019 seasons, and then come back and talk to me. Historically, yes, the Red Sox have been a good franchise. Mm-hmm. But think about um, Minnesota for years was a was a contender. Uh, I mentioned St. Louis, uh, the Dodgers, the last. I mean, they've won eight straight division titles, and they won the, the division in 08 and 09. Did they win it in 06? No, they were a wild card in 06, uh, and they won it again in 2000 earlier in 2004. Teams that have well-run organizations, and I'm not saying the Reds aren't a well-run organization. I think they are. But they have to find a way to maintain contender, whatever it's called, their contender status consistently, not just for a three- or four-year window. And it's tough being a small market franchise. It is. It really is. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And, I mean, um, you, you talked about it, like, the Reds, I mean, this is a great, we talked about a baseball city, an incredible fan base, and it's a very hungry fan base. I mean, this is a fan base that need, that doesn't just want this team to be good, almost needs this team to be good. Because as you mentioned, they have they had a couple years there where they were this team was great. Last year, I mean, they made the playoffs, but as you said, there's almost a little bit of an asterisk. It feels a little weird, and then the performance in the playoffs was just not good. Yeah, okay. No so it just feels a little bit. You really just don't know exactly where you stand. I think. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's it's a little weird. And now you get the fans back in the stadium. I think it is a culmination of COVID, of no fans in the stadium. Fans are really excited for the season, and you look at it. This thing could be good. I mean, it's a it's kind of a it's a pyramid almost of this team could actually be good at a time when. The fans are really needing this. And so I think this could be a season where, especially if moving on in the season, I mean, who knows if we could almost even get to a full stadium come summer, come end of summer. This could be a season that really is a staple of the Reds uh, or um, of the Reds organization. Not to get too far ahead of myself because we still need to kind of lay the groundwork here. But a very exciting season um, as far as that, as far as the fan base needing a great season. I think they do. And you bring up a great point there with COVID keeping fans out of the stadium last year. And the fact that going into the season before COVID shut down spring training and subsequently shortened the season, the regular season, there were palpable expectations. I mean, I remember thinking opening day is going to be so fun this year Mm -hmm. because the Reds have a really good team. They were playing St. Louis, who was coming off a division title in 2019. And just... You know, the buzz around this city throughout the summer was going to be insanely good. Like, being a Reds fan in 2019 was fun because there was talent. And being a fan last year was fun because, okay, we have a contender here. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to the game next Monday night against the Pirates. I can't wait to get back in the ballpark. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be freezing tomorrow, which is going to suck. At least it'll be sunny skies. But Monday, it's going to be like 70 degrees. Tuesday's going to be 78 degrees. Ugh. Wednesday's going to be 70 in the afternoon. Oh, it's going to be so great to go back to the ballpark, eat a hot dog, and just... That is what I have been missing for so long. For so long. Like, <coughs> and in this city, baseball, it, it is a baseball town. And the fan base here is phenomenal. Because of how good the Reds are, and honoring their history, because of how good they are 
um, with the off-season activities. In a normal year, you'd have Reds Fest, which I've been to. It's incredible. The caravan, Reds caravan. I mean, spring tra- and people get excited for spring training yeah. here. Now, I, I think they get excited for spring training in St. Louis as well. And that's the thing, too. It's like, you mentioned how hungry this fan base is. We've been beaten down for so long by that team in St. Louis. Here's a team in the St. Louis Cardinals that from 1988 through 1995 did not make the playoffs. 96, they get to the playoffs. They get to the playoffs in 96, 2000, 01, 02, 04, 05, 06, and 09. That's eight postseason appearances in 14 years. And think about just how many times did Albert Pujols destroy the kill the Reds? How many times did Matt Holliday do something? Lance Berkman, well, actually not Lance Berkman, um, anybody else on the Cardinals who was a Reds killer. Jim Edmonds, Scott Rowland, who then played for the yep. Reds. The Cardinals just consistently beat our ass for 15 years. And even when the Reds won the division, they still beat our asses yeah. that year. Uh, like I remember there was a there was a Monday night game in early August televised on ESPN. It was 8-0 by the fourth inning in favor of the Cardinals, and they swept the series that way. But guess who still won the division? The Reds. I mean, I mean the Cardinals have just, ugh, they've been that measuring stick for so long because they've beaten our asses consistently. Here's an opportunity to get back at them, win this opening day game tomorrow, win two out of three, and there's some hope here. Because what you cannot have happen is this. 2018, the Reds start 3-18. and 18. The season's over before Mother's Day. The season's over before the NFL draft. <laughs> that ain't good. Uh... 2019, the Reds start 1-8. I will give them credit for digging themselves out of that hole and being a contender in August. But what if they hadn't started 1-8? What if they had started 5-4? Mm, four, even 4-5? Four like, okay, the, okay, let's look at the Reds. Here, here's something we'll do. We haven't really gotten into this yet. So the Reds' schedule to start the season is actually pretty favorable. Yeah. If you think about it. So, obviously, we know the Reds open up against the Cardinals. Tomorrow, Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, Saturday and Sunday. Then they host the Pirates for three games. You better win two at least. But let's say they win three. I mean, if the Reds come out of this homestand, let's say three and three, that's fine. Mm -hmm. There's some hope there because, really... I'm, I'm going to try something this year and not pay attention to the standings until maybe two or three weeks into the season or come May 1st. I probably will break that um, <laughs> wish, but okay. Whatever. Got to make sure I'm hydrated here. Anyway, and my throat's not dry. Uh, April 9th through 11th at Arizona. The Diamondbacks aren't very good. Uh, at San Francisco. Giants aren't what they used to be. Uh... Okay, so that's a six-game road trip. Come out of that, three and three, four and two. You come home for three games, uh, the 16th or the 18th against the Indians. That's a good test right there. The Indians, despite losing Lindor and Kluber, they still have some... I mean, you look at the Indians lineup, projected uh, per Lindy Sports Magazine, if I can get to the Indians. So the Indians are going to have, uh, in their lineup, minus Francisco Lindor. Well, there really isn't. Uh, Jose Ramirez, you got to be weary of him. Roberto Perez, I suppose. Um, the rotation still is Shane Bieber, Zach Plesac. And those are two prominent starting pitchers right there. you got to be weary of them. But you don't have to fear their lineup. If you can yeah. win two out of three from the Indians, the Indians might take one because this is a rivalry. Yes. Win two out of three, fine. Then you get the Diamondbacks for three games. You can sweep that, win two out of three. How's this for a road trip to end the month? So the Reds have three, 12, 18 games before this six-game gauntlet. Excuse me. At the Cardinals and at the Dodgers. If you're 9-9 nine nine at least through those first 18 games, I prefer 11-7 maybe. Go into those series with house money. Seriously. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if, if you go into that series with a favorable schedule, 
you're playing two of the better teams in baseball. What do you got to lose? What do you have to lose? I mean, this is a team, obviously, if you lose six games, that would not be good. But this is a team that can, you can go in there at that time. If you can steal a couple, then you're coming out of it with a favorable early schedule, as we talked about. And you just went up against two of the better teams in baseball. If you, if you, heck, if you can come out of that three and three, even win one of those series, that's 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 great. In my yeah, opinion. that is great. And then because because you know, think about COVID numbers will hopefully continue to go down. People are going to get vaccinated. I got to sign up for mine. Have you have you signed up for your COVID no, vaccine yet? yet? You have no. not, but you're going to get it though. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So we're all getting we're all getting vaccinated for COVID at some point. We're going to get back in the ballpark. It's going to be a great summer here in Cincinnati. Maybe we're going to have a contender here. What I don't like about this, the April schedule is this. Three West Coast series. Yeah. I mean, you think about the only... When, when we get out... I was thinking about this this morning. When we get out of April, the only other team that we will have not played on the West Coast is San Diego. We go out there in June. So that actually favors the, the schedule coming down the stretch. If you don't have to go on to the West Coast, because I remember in um, 2019, they had to go to Arizona and Seattle down the stretch. And let me tell you, traveling that far when you're already, you know, your bullpen arms are potentially taxed, your pitchers are throwing a lot of innings, the grind of a season, you just made it through the summer. The last thing you want to do is travel all the way to the West Coast. So get those series out of the way. And if you can win some of those games, see, those who say the regular season doesn't matter, mm, yeah, it does. It's called accumulation. It does matter. Yeah, that's, that's very true that you mentioned. I mean, you get it out of the way early when you're fresh, when maybe the, the flight out there, the trip out there doesn't matter quite as much. Um, you're, like I said, you're more fresher in the, uh, in the season. And then you mentioned... This begin the kind of at the end of April, you know, maybe some excitement rolling out of some of these series, and then right after the Dodgers series, who do we get at home? We get the Chicago Cubs, and you know, be excitement, right and there. you know, there's going to be excitement <clears throat> for that. I'm exactly. looking at the I'm looking at the schedule after San Diego in June. The road trips: Minnesota, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Philly, Milwaukee, Miami, Chicago, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Pittsburgh. I mean, those are reasonable traveling schedules right there. Yeah. So it, it is kind of it, it's very it's a very dispersed schedule. Like I am going through man, there's like a series where okay, they can, you know, I should feel confident they can at least win the series or sweep. Then there's some series where it's like okay, if we if we can win two out of three or three out of four or split, you know, fine. It, there's kind of a mixture of both. But in April it's like okay, the schedule's favorable um early on in the season. With, with series against the Diamondbacks twice, the Giants, the Pirates, um, the Indians even, I would say if you can win two out of three there. And the only other, I mean, the series that are going to matter are the Cardinals twice and the Dodgers. Because those are the two measuring sticks in the two measuring sticks in the National League, along with Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and as we said before, I mean, if you can win these early series, I mean, why not go out and win the opening day series against the Cardinals? Why not do that? Why You absolutely should win the Pirates series. Maybe steal a series out west. I mean, take the series against the Indians, against home against the Diamondbacks. You could have a very favorable schedule. You mentioned 11-7, and seven, maybe even like 12-6, and six, maybe even top, getting up to top of the NL Central. This is a, these that's a that's a all right. So I'll start paying attention to the standings before the Cardinals series. <laughs> okay, exactly. That's a six-game stretch that could be very important of the measuring stick, as you said, of this team. Where are we at? You know, we said we lost some guys from last year, not many. Created a little bit of a hole in some areas. We can fill them, but can we fill them properly? And I feel like after that, those two series, I think we're gonna have a pretty good idea. David Bell, David Bell, and Bob Castellini and Nick Crawl, they are relying on this premise because they didn't make any splashy signings in the offseason. They are relying on the players that are currently on the roster to get this team back into contention again this year. Mm-hmm. And the and the interesting thing is, I think they can. Oh yeah. Let's say. 
Suarez bounces back this year and has a season reminiscent of 2019 when he hit 48 home runs. Let's say uh, Mike Moustakis has, shows his power that he showed in Kansas City and Milwaukee, 30 home runs. Let's say Castellanos rakes once again and hits, I don't know, 35, 40 home runs. Let's say Joey Votto, he does not have to hit 330 with 35 and 110. If he hits 290 with 20 and 65, that's fine. Let's say Akiyama, when he comes back, gets on base 45 to 50% of the time. Maybe even just 40% of the time, but I prefer 45. Let's say Senzel is a 300 hitter with 20 home, with 20 to 25 home runs and 80 RBIs. Let's say that uh, even Tucker Barnhart hits 220 with 15 and 50. Let's say, and this is kind of fantasizing at this point, let's say Winker continues to pick up where he left off last year. If all of that happens, and India has a great rookie season, and then let's say Castillo wins 15 to 18 games, and Gray wins 14 to 16, and Mally wins 8 to 10, and let's say Miley even wins seven. And uh, whoever else is in the pitching rotation. TJ Antone. Is it that? Is it not? How do I word this question? It's not even a question. It is not inconceivable that this team can win more than 85 games. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. As we talked about, this is a roster that can get it done. We saw it done last year. I mean, like we said, this is a team that ended up seventh. In a kind of wacky postseason, but a team that came on there, and when when the time when it mattered, this is a team that came on, made the push. Obviously, as we said before in the postseason, a little different, but made the push, got into the postseason. A team that I think, in a lot of ways, did get it done last year, getting to the playoffs, getting to the postseason. A team that can really build, and you mentioned. It's not like we're talking about a lot of old geezers here. I mean, for the most part, we're talking about younger guys, a younger core, outside of maybe like Vado, guys like that, a younger core that I think this organization is really putting their trust in. And I think these guys know that now. They know that they are, they are being trusted with the keys to the organization, with the keys to the future. And I think that goes a long way. Here's the thing for those who say the Reds got in in the playoffs because of an expanded field. Yes, it was only 60 games. But if you stretch that out over to a 162, the Reds would have would have gotten hot right around late May. And the last times the Reds have made the playoffs, the previous times the Reds made the playoffs, 2010-2012, they got it going right around mid to late May. If the season was a full season last year, I think the Reds would have won 85 to 90 games. I think they were starting to come around. They just couldn't score in the playoffs against Atlanta. And Atlanta is a very, very good team. As you'll hear in my upcoming MLB season predictions. So that's the other side of a 60-game season. You can judge something off a 60-game season, and yet you can't judge something off a 60-game season, if you get what I'm saying. It's a double-edged sword. I agree. If it were a 114-game season... Or 108-game season, then yes, that's fine. Because 108 would be two-thirds of a season. Barely one-third of a season was played last year. We think about it. Okay, so let's get into some predictions yeah. here. Uh, red season records. And we're not going to... I mean, this is the thing about MLB. You can try to pick every game if you want mm-hmm. to. I mean, we do this for the NFL, yeah. but... <laughs> I don't think I don't. I mean, if there's someone out there that wants to pick every single MLB game and you want to do that, by all means, go. But eh, I'm be tough. Record predictions. So we're gonna start with the Reds. We'll start with the Reds. Well, I mean, this is a Red show, right? Uh, yeah, we have to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think for the Reds, I mean, like we said, I think they're gonna have a very strong season. I'm very optimistic. I think that there is some holes that the Reds need to fill. I think at some point we're kind of gonna go through a little bit of a law. Um, with the relieving core, I mean, from last year was a little bit iffy. This coming into this year, we'll see. I'm going to go with 84 and 78. I think it's right. a team that could win 
and it definitely should win in the 80 games, I believe. A team that will make a playoff push. I mean, that is, it's right on the edge. It's right on the edge of making the playoffs. I mean, in a, in, in this division, I mean, that that could possibly win the division. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. But that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say 84 and 78. There's a lot of um, ifs and a lot of things that need to happen for this Reds team to be good. But yeah. I, again, what's there now, what's here now with this team is good. People are so up in arms about what they didn't do in the offseason. Look at what they do have. They have uh, two Cy Young caliber starting pitchers. I know they only pitch every fifth day, but two times around in rotation, that's four times every 10 days or 10 games. Um, what they also have is a, a lineup with potential, and if it lives and if they hit, they're not going to hit 212 again this year. If the 60-game season stretched out to a full 162-game season, they don't hit 212. They might hit 220-something, whatever. I think they hit better this year. So I'm right with you, Preston. I was going to say 84, but I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to have uh, us as the same record. Um, uh, I think this team they will contend. Here's the thing: what we talk about in football, how do you become a world champion? First, you win in your own division. You can win within your own division. That's a start. I think this Reds team will be 83 and 79. I think 83 wins. I don't want to just go one down because I can't be the same as yours. You know what? We'll bump it up two more. We'll go 85 and 77. I don't think it's inconceivable this team can win 85 games. I agree. Okay, now, division National League Central Division winners, go. National League Central. Um, National League Central Division winners. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I, it pains me to say it, I think the Cardinals are going to end up winning this division. I think that right. they're, they're a solid team. I mean, I, I was thinking Brewers. I think the Brewers, Cardinals, um, Reds are going to be right there. I think the Cubs will be right behind. And then you mentioned the Pirates. Could be as much as a 100-loss team. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Um, I just think that they, like you said, they made a, they made a pretty big uh, free agency splash. I just think the Cardinals will end up taking it in the end. You can say that one free agent signing can make the difference, and I would agree with you, but I look at the Brewers lineup, mm -hmm. or I look at the Brewers roster. Look at who they have in their rotation. Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Josh Lindblom, Adrian Hauser, Eric Lauer. Then their relievers, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, Brent Suter. Then you think about their lineup. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach, Orlando Arcia, Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain, Avisael Garcia. This is, ladies and gentlemen, a very talented Milwaukee Brewers team. That has made the playoffs the yeah. last three years. Milwaukee, to me, is the most talent in the division. That's why I'm picking the Brewers to win the National League Central. I think the Cardinals come in second. I think the Brewers win um, 90 games this year. I think the Cardinals come in second at 87. Reds will be third at 85. Cubs will be fourth at 84. And the Pirates, eh, will say 60. Mm -hmm. So that's that. So real quick, how about this? So let's move on to some other, the rest of the NL. Real quick, who do you have winning the um, National League divisions? In the National League divisions, we got about three minutes. I got the Braves in the East. They are far and away the most talented team in that division, the best team in that division without question. Oozing young talent, great pitching rotation. Braves win the East. National League West, it's going to be a phenomenal race. The Padres have made a bevy of splashes in free agency signings this offseason, but the Dodgers, to me, are the most experienced team. They'll win the West. Two, gonna, one. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going I'm to go exactly with you. I think the Padres are going to make a real push. I mean, they did a great job in the offseason. They made some signings. I mean, they made some long signings. But I think in the end, you can't vote again. You can't go against the Dodgers, especially with their, with their talent, their experience. I mean, they have, they have the best of both worlds, I think. So I think you got to go with the Dodgers, and then um, I think in the East, I think it's I think it's I think it's a pretty given this year that the that the Braves are going to come away with this. I mean, I think the Mets the Mets can make them sweat a little bit by the end of the year, but I think the Braves are going to end up um, winning the National League East. What about your two wild card teams? My two wild card teams. So then, out of that, um, out of those picks that I just had, I'm going to go with the Padres, and as much as I'd like to say the Reds, as much as I'd like to make us get that push in the playoffs, I think it will be the Mets. Okay. The Padres and the Mets. I have the Padres as well, but I'm going to also go with the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. So those are my two wild card teams. I got the Padres beating the Cardinals in the wild card game, and then um, 
the National League Division Series. I got the Dodgers over the Padres. That'd be a phenomenal series. Oh, yeah. And the Braves over the Brewers to set up a rematch in the NLCS between the Dodgers and the Braves. I'll go the Dodgers there. So that means the Dodgers, once again, will be my National League champion fourth time in the last five years. Uh, do we want to do American League? We got about 60 seconds. Yeah, we can run through American League real quick. Uh, East, I have the Yankees. I think they'll outlast Tampa Bay down I the stretch. I, I also think it's going to be the Yankees. I think Tampa Bay is going to make a push. But Central's interesting to me. I will go with Minnesota, though. Okay. And then okay. the West, I'm going to dethrone the Astros and go with the A's once again. Okay. I can so, see that. Uh, two wild cards real quick. I got Tampa Bay and the White Sox. Okay, I, I like that. I was actually going to go White Sox in the um, in the Central, and I was going to go. Um, where what are we? What else do we miss? Oh, I was going to go White Sox and then Angels out west. Okay, that's fine. Angels out west. Angels out west, and then I my two wild cards, Tampa Bay. I have them beating the White Sox in the playoff game. Yankees over Rays in the division series. Twins over the A's championship series. Yankees once again over the Twins. World Series pick. I'm a Yankees fan, but I think the Dodgers will beat him in the World Series. There you have it. There you have it. There's Alex's picks. Thank you for listening to our pilot episodes of Red's Eye Alert. I'm Preston Stober here with Alex Frank, and we really thank you, and we hope for a great Red season. Have a good one.